Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. Globalrecon.net, fieldcraftsurvival.com. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm here with Mike Glover, your co-host. And we've we got a good episode for you guys. Uh, we have a special guest on, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about last week and and the feedback we got, which is pretty good. We had uh, two from Ronan Tactics on, and two and Mike, uh, they go way back, and they, they serve together in, in the various units in uh, Army Special Operations. So it, it was a good episode, and um, I, I know it was fun for you guys to kind of take a trip down memory lane, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. It was it was awesome. I think uh, talking to two, and especially his mindset, and talking about all the things that he's been through, his experiences, is you know coming out of Vietnam, and I don't know, man. I I know I've known two for for over a decade, but I you know if he comes out with a book, I, I'm interested in reading his book. Just him telling a story, I get I get goosebumps, bro. I like it was a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. I I can't wait for the book, man. That's definitely going to be an interesting book, uh, and um. Yeah, so that should be good. So on with us today is Alex Scarlatos. And Alex, some of you may know Alex already, but Alex was one of the three Americans who foiled that would-be terror attack on the uh, train in France a couple of months back. So, you know, since then, Alex has been doing a couple of things. He's kind of been, you know, on, I, I believe he's on Dancing with the Stars and and doing a couple of other cool things. So that's pretty good. And and since you know we, we talk about mindset and Mike more specifically, you know, speaks about being aware of your surroundings and being able to react and in, in, in the event of a a situation happening, a crisis or something. So w- what happened over there in France is is pretty much what Mike speaks about. So. Uh, I'm going to introduce Alex Scarlatos to you guys. Alex, are you there? Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> hey, good, man. Good. How you doing, bro? Yeah, don't judge me too hard for the Dancing with the Stars thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a cool show, bro, and, and, and I know you, you're meeting a lot of cool people and things like that, so that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> nice, nice. So, so Alex, can we, uh, can we get into the story of, you know, can we kind of go a little step-by-step step on what happened over there on the on that train in, in France? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, my friends and I were just kicking it in Amsterdam. We decided to go to Paris, so we got some tickets. Um, when we first got on the train, we were in the wrong car, so because we helped this old British guy on the train, so we were in the middle of the train. We didn't know where our seats were, so we just kind of sat down. Then basically... Uh, about 15 minutes into the trade ra- train ride, the, wi- the Wi-Fi wasn't working, so we moved to first class where our tickets were because we figured it'd have better Wi-Fi. And we were right, so we stayed in first class. And uh, I, Spencer and Anthony kind of went to sleep a few minutes later, and I was pretty much just on my phone texting people back home, things like that. And I was following our trip on Google Maps, and, and then uh, just after we crossed the border into France after a Brussels stop. Um, I heard what sounded like a gunshot and breaking glass, but to be honest, I didn't really think anything of it because I'm like, oh, 
maybe somebody just dropped something or broke a window or something along those lines. And I wasn't, I didn't even turn around to see what happened. And, uh, then I saw a, a train employee run away from the noise of the full sprint. So I'm like, well, that's weird. So I look back to see what he's running from. And there's a, a guy standing there shirtless with an AK trying to get it to work. It looked like he was trying to charge it or something along those lines. And, uh, so Spencer was awake at that point and saw it, saw it kind of the same time I did. So we both just ducked behind the seats and, and uh, I was kind of looking through the seats at the guy. And so I just tapped Spencer and I said, go, let's go. And the second I tapped him, he went, cause I was thinking, you know, let's go in a second when he gets closer or something like that. But the second I tapped him, he was gone. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, I didn't even realize he had left at first. I kind of had tunnel vision from the adrenaline and I was looking in between the seats. And so I didn't even notice he was gone until he was already halfway to the guy and uh, crossed, crossed my path of vision. And so I was like, oh shit. So I got up immediately and followed him and uh, he tackled the guy uh, right off the bat and got him to the ground. We kind of beat on him for a second. Um, then he got, he dropped the AK and so uh, Spencer kind of got behind him. And sunk a chokehold in and kind of laid him down across the seat. And I tried to shoot the guy with the uh, handgun, um, but it didn't work. So I tried charging it. I realized it was empty, so I threw it. Then I picked up the AK, tried to shoot him with that too, but uh, it was on safe. So instead of messing with it anymore, because he was stabbing Spencer with a box cutter at this point, I just started hitting him in the head with the AK. Um, his arms kind of went limp. And so I stopped and then just watched him as he passed out from Spencer's choke. Um, then we kind of put him on the ground. I held, I kind of had his arms behind his back and we were trying to figure out what to do with him. And then I looked over and saw this guy with just blood squirting out of his neck. So I'm like, Spencer, get that guy. <laughs> and so again, Spencer, after getting two slashes across the back of his neck and almost having his thumb cut off, goes over and sticks two fingers in this guy's neck to stop the bleeding. Um, Then this British guy comes up and uh, basically starts tying the guy up. So I was like, all right, whatever, he's unconscious. Because Spencer held the choke for a good minute after he was already out. So I knew he was (laughs) going to be out for a while. Um, So I let the British guy tie him up and I grabbed the AK. Um, I put a new uh, bullet in the chamber. And when I, well, just because I cycled it, and I didn't know it was empty or loaded or why it didn't go off. But when I cycled it, the uh, round that was in the chamber ejected, and I picked it up real quick to look at it, and I noticed that it was a primer strike. So we just got really lucky because it was a bad primer. <laughs> um, and then I just kind of unfolded the uh, AK because it was a side-folding Draco. So I unfolded it and just kind of went back to the back of the train to see if there was any other shooters or anybody else got shot. And uh, everybody was kind of packed in the last three cars of the train. And I just asked if anybody spoke English, if anybody else was shot, or if they knew of any other shooters. And they said no. So I just told everybody to stay where they were. And I went back up to help Spencer with Mark, the guy who got shot. Um, I just kind of quickly cleared the AK and gathered up all the magazines and weapons and whatnot and put them on a seat. Then I cut. Mark's shirt off of him and did a quick blood sweep to see if he got shot in the chest or anything else because his wife kept saying he got shot in the chest but it was just the neck Um, and then we kind of just held that position until we got to the uh, station in Arras 
about 35 minutes after the attack happened. Wow, so you, you guys were on the train with this dude, like, subdued for 35 minutes after everything was finished. Yeah, yeah, because what happened was they stopped the train about five or ten minutes after the attack because somebody hit the emergency alarm, and then some people jumped off, and then once they realized Mark was bleeding out, they picked back up again to the closest station, and uh, including by the time they stopped the train and then started back up again and got to the station. It was about 35 minutes, yeah. Wow, so what What are the names of your two friends that were, that were with you, the full names? Well, Spencer Stone, he's the uh, he's the Air, the Air Force medic that uh, saved Mark's life and got stabbed. And then Anthony Sadler, he's, uh, he was kind of behind me when we tackled the guy, so he got a few punches in, and he also got that uh, video that was on, I think, CNN after the attack. It was a really cool video, just the aftermath of Spencer holding Mark's neck and me looking for the handguns and things like that. It was, it was pretty crazy. And then uh, Chris Norman was the name of the British guy who uh, helped us tie him up. And then Mark Magulian was the name of the guy who got shot in the neck. <clears throat> okay, so so part of what you know we, we discuss on the show is like the having the mindset, and, and this is more up Mike's alley, but you know it's like having that mindset to be aware of your surroundings and, and to have a clear enough mind to react the right way when something happens um, or to react effectively. So what, what what kind of mindset did you guys, like, or, or, or are you, do you think about these kind of things or did you just react? Like, how did that happen for you? Well, honestly, it was, I mean, it was total reaction. We didn't have time to think or anything the only thought going through my head was oh shit this is actually happening and by then we were moving um but uh to be honest i mean i'm kind of a paranoid guy i guess <laughs> i've thought about things like that happening and kind of thought you know what would i do in a situation like that and obviously i hoped i would you know do something but i mean i guess you don't really know until the situation actually occurs but i think just getting in that mindset and thinking about what you would do in any given situation, I think helps a lot. I mean, cause I mean, we don't really have any training in any situation like that. I mean, I'm in the national guard. We never trained for anything like that. We, you know, no real hand to hand combat experience. I never touched an AK in the military. So it wasn't, didn't have anything to do really with training other than my own firearms knowledge and just kind of, I guess, mentally preparing myself ahead of time for what would I do in that situation. Right. M Mike, can you touch on any of the, the mental state that you need to have in order to react properly to this? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, first of all, Alex, I just want to thank you for your service, man. Um, Thanks. If, if it wasn't for uh, you guys thwarting that attack, there's no, you know, there's no calculation, but there's no doubt that those that guy would have done some damage, especially with that, that AK-47. So, you know, it, I wasn't surprised when I heard about the attack that it was American service members that that thwarted it. Um, just out of curiosity, Alex, for those that don't know, what what's your job in the National Guard? Like, what's your MOS, your 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 uh, specific job? Well, I mean, I'm infantry, and I had just gotten back from a deployment to Afghanistan. I mean, it was really quiet, obviously, but uh, and that's. I guess it just kind of helps being infantry in a situation like that, especially since I was one who picked up the gun. And I mean, Spencer's a medic, and so he kind of fell into his job of stopping the bleeding on Mark. So it all kind of worked out. Yeah. So I I think the the big 
you know, the big takeaway for Alex's situation when it comes to mindset is understanding that there's a process that we learn in the military and, and Alex is familiar with this being an infantryman. Um, it's called an immediate action drill. So when we train through an immediate action drill, it's a training process where, uh, whereby you isolate and you rehearse a specific training process and then you commit it to muscle memory. So that way when you react, um, it's subconscious reaction and then consciously you can make decisions, good decisions while you're subconsciously through muscle memory, uh, deliberately making moves. Um, there's an interesting statistic out there um, by a guy named John Leach who studies survival psychology. He talks about um, 10%. Uh, if you break down the population and people who survive events, 10% are people like, like Alex and his buddies who they could quickly and hastily develop a plan and then immediately act and respond, whether it's saving their own lives or saving the lives of others they they don't hesitate and then about 80 percent of the population freeze and when they freeze there's a chance that they can react there's a chance that they can act um, but there's also a chance that they could freeze and do absolutely nothing and then there's that last 10 percent who's just damned by nature that they're going to die so uh, that's just you know a, a statistic that's been thrown out there by psychologists who study survival situations but there's no doubt that Alex, Alex's experience through his military training, I mean, he, he even by his accounts just reacted, which for him would have been what we call IMTing, which is an individual movement technique. Basically, he got his battle buddy, he squeezed him off, and then they, they bounded and maneuvered towards the, the bad guy, and they both reacted accordingly. So, uh, Alex, I wanted to ask you, um, while you were doing that, you mentioned tunnel vision. Talk to me like your mindset when you when you specifically talk about tunnel vision as you were focused on the task. Was it was it literally tunnel vision like think the things were closing in or you were just getting focused on one specific event? Well, honestly, it was just that he had my total attention. I'm like, oh, shit, there's a dude with an AK right there. Like, that's the threat. Like, all my attention went to him. So, I mean, I lost my peripheral vision. I didn't really know what else was going on. I mean, when I tapped Spencer on the shoulder and told him to go, I don't even know that he got up and left until he was already halfway there. And that was just because I was only focused on what was in front of me, not really what else was going on. Yeah, that's that's completely amazing to hear, especially in a real-life situation that turned out for the good because that's exactly what happens. when when In the military, when you're training these things and you're going through um, uh, events that – that, that gets you amped up, that dump cortisol in your system. All these things are intended, they're, they're survival mechanisms that are intended to benefit you um, in surviving. So more blood flows to your eyes, um, more blood flows to your appendages, you become stronger, you become faster, and then you focus on the task at hand. And there's like an optimal range where you want to be, uh, where you're still consciously in control, making smart decisions, which I think through military training Alex was in but if you weren't trained uh, that's where a lot of people um, lose their lives or become those 80 percenters because they either react badly and they try to you know flight the situation or they react uh, like Alex did and turned out to be a positive reaction where they 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 fought the situation 
And uh, just hearing the story is compelling, and, and, and I'm proud to, to know that it was an American service member. Um, Alex, how, how do you think, um, without getting into too many details, how do you think Afghanistan prepared you for that, uh, that, that event that you saw yourself in? To be honest, I mean, not at all, because <laughs> our job was super easy. I mean, we were pretty much just gate guards the whole deployment. And we didn't really see anything. But uh, on the military training aspect and kind of going off the adrenaline thing that you were talking about, that was really interesting because uh, immediately, I mean, I wasn't really thinking when it all happened and when we were still fighting. I mean, obviously, I knew my way around firearms, so I kind of got lucky there. But uh, the second it was over and the adrenaline started to burn off, I was thinking hyper-rationally to where, I mean, it was... It almost didn't seem like a big deal to me what happened. I was just thinking what we needed to do next. And that was kind of when the military mindset kicked in. And I was just like, okay, this guy's down. Now we need to worry about security and what else is going on here. Because, you know, I didn't know what else was happening. And so from there, it kind of broke down into military training after it all kind of settled in. And uh, like like I said, it was just really strange because once the adrenaline kind of started to burn off, I was only thinking about what needed to happen next. And it was just really clear thoughts and it just, it didn't phase me. It was really interesting. That, 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 uh, psychology is, is, is pretty amazing. If you study it, what's interesting to know about what you were going through is, I I don't know if you guys ever experienced or or saw it. Uh, I think there's some good shots of it after the, the Boston marathon bombing, but when people aren't trained to, to deal in an, in an immediate action context, meaning that they're not trained to react to a situation, they they tend to pace, they tend to walk in circles because they're not sure of what to do next. And what you just described is as that adrenaline wore off, you, you dealt with the situation that was the danger. Uh, as that cortisol burned off and your adrenaline dropped, your heart rate dropped, it's interesting because people who aren't trained that would 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 calm down whether they fought or they or they flighted would absolutely deliberately not know what to do but since you're trained in the military there's you know there's deliberate priorities of work that you have to 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 operate in and the first thing that that comes to mind uh, when you talked about it is you mentioned you know hey we need to get security it's like hey i'm looking at the situation in its totality the next thing we do as an infantryman is we set up security and 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 we establish we um, number one identify the threat, uh, eliminate the threat, and then establish priorities of work, which is uh, the number one priority of work is establishing security. So it's crazy to hear that because you know a lot of people don't talk about it, but he did exactly what an infantryman should have done, and that's what makes you proud as a you know a, a four year um, infantry vet, but. Uh, the rest of my time in special operations, it, it, it makes me proud to hear that that whole process worked for him and you guys saved the day and you guys deserve a lot of uh, credit for what you guys did. Now, t- Alex, talk to us about what the aftermath of that, man. After it happened and everything went down, there was a lot of notoriety. You guys were on TV. You guys were in the White House. What, how was that for you as an experience? Um, was it Was it kind of overwhelming? Was it, I mean, talk to us about that. Well, I mean, yeah, it was totally overwhelming. Uh, but uh, 
I mean, even even the night after the attack, I honestly just didn't even think it was that big of a deal. I thought it was going to run on some local French news, and then we'd get the next train to Paris and continue on our vacation. <laughs> I mean, because we had, we had no idea how big it was in the United States and what else was going on, because we were just kind of in our own world. And that night, we just got questioned by the French police about three different times, and they just put us in a hotel. And so we had no idea what was going on. And... Uh, the next day, they took us to France, and we met up with the American embassy and the ambassador, and we stayed in the ambassador's residence the whole time we were in Paris, which was absolutely oh, fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. it was that was a great night. <laughs> um, but honestly, it was—I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but honestly, I was just grateful to be alive and grateful that that my friends had made it alive. And because uh, I mean, we knew we knew how lucky we got. I mean. Obviously, there was a lot of skill and, you know, things that went into us surviving, but there was also a lot of luck that was involved or somebody looking out for us. So uh, we, we were conscious of how lucky we got. And uh, honestly, we were just kind of living it up, to be honest. I mean, all, like meeting the French president, meeting Obama was all fantastic. But uh, I mean, I was mostly just happy to have uh, Spencer alive. <laughs> Right. So, Alex, um, <clears throat> we're running a little short on time. So, what, uh, what do you ha can you talk about your plans for remaining in the military? Can you speak about that, or is that something you can't talk about? Well, I'm going to uh, BLC soon uh, to get promoted to E5, hopefully, and then uh, I think around August I'm slotted to go to sniper school because that's what that's kind of the reason I joined the military. It's the reason I re-upped in Afghanistan because I want to be a sniper. So. Hopefully I'll uh, graduate <laughs> and be a nice. sniper the rest of my career. Nice. Mike Mike was a sniper for a number of years in uh, special operations. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take all the hope I can get. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, you just you just messaged me, man. I'll, I'll help you through. I went through SODIC. Um, I think it's changed now. It's SODIC used to be Special Operations Tactical Interdiction Course, but now it's a Special Forces uh, Snipers Course or something like that. But uh, yeah, you you need advice or help, uh, just just DM me or message me. We talk offline. Uh, thanks. <laughs> nice. All right, Alex. Uh, it was really great talking to you, man, and I, I appreciate you coming on and, and and speaking about your experience, man. It's truly humbling. Uh, Alex, is there somewhere uh, that that we can list your social media handles, email address, or website, anything like that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I just got an Instagram. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, just hit me up on my Instagram. It's just Alex Garlatos, A-L-E-K-S-K-A-R-L-A-T-O-S, all lowercase. Nice. All right, Alex, it was great talking to you, man. Um, you know, we'll keep in touch and, and hopefully we'll, we can have you on for future episodes. All right, thanks. I appreciate that. It was a good time. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Hey, so Mike, you know, we've been getting hit up, uh, uh, probably you more than me, but uh, you know, with guys having questions about PTSD and how do they handle some of the things that they're going through psychologically and is there anything they can do to kind of help get them over that hump? Uh, do you have any advice for those guys? Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of friends, man, who I've lost in the last uh, year, actually the last few months, it seems, um, some special forces buddies of mine, as well as uh, guys that I contract with. PTSD, you know, is is really the diagnosis of a mental health issue. 
and I talk about my YouTube video on uh, Phil Craft Survival Channel about kind of how I don't look at PTSD as really the issue. It's not, uh, it's not a disorder or uh, from a specific event necessarily. More than likely, it's a condition and reconditioning issue to uh, integrate our soldiers back into civilian life. And, you know, I'm no Zen master, man, and I'm no psychologist. You know, my degree's in Homeland Security. So it's my take on it. But from my perspective, what I've come to understand is that our minds are our own worst enemies, right? Our, our, we are our own worst enemies. And when we think about our heads and what's inside of our heads and hearts, we tend to contain a lot of pain. And I've done that in the past. And I know a lot of buddies have done that in the past where we don't like to talk about those issues. And the problem I see on the psychological end with treating veterans with PTSD or just anybody with PTSD, you know, 911 dispatchers can get PTSD. So firefighters, service service members, it's it's uh, civilians doing absolutely nothing uh, who suffer a traumatic event could get PTSD. But a strategy that I got and, and I, I put it in kind of like a story format is you got to think about the way your mind works, right? You have this core human being uh, think of it as who you are it's 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 the person inside your head and imagine that person sitting on a a a lazy boy like he's sitting on a chair and he's he's observing the rest of the world around him and at the core of that that person is what you are it's all all your past experiences your values your character and that doesn't really change it's it's kind of like the voice in your head that's always been the rational voice in your head, the compassionate voice in your head. And inside your head, um, without sounding too crazy, um, with voices in your head, you have, uh, think of him as a terrorist. I mean, he, he's a guy who kicks in the front door of, of your home, of your, of your mind, and he antagonizes this core of who you are. And he, he, this voice leads to doubt leads to anxiety um, and and only exacerbates small issues and turns them into big, larger issues. And throughout history, it's been, you know, the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Um, it, you know, it, it, it teeters and totters throughout history about these voices. But this terrorist is, is the one who comes inside your head and completely turns your world upside down and convinces the core of who you are to bury yourself to get deeper inside that home and the next thing you know you're in the basement and you don't know how you got there so the way i've learned to cope with this is by understanding that and i use special operations analogies uh, go figure um there's a third per- person in the room and that person is a sniper um a sniper is a trained observer. The trained observer, most snipers that I know are compassionate human beings. They're more quiet. They tend to be from the country, maybe from the city, but they have a different aura about themselves. But the point is they're observing the person who you are at your core and the enemy that's kicked in the front door. Now, 
just by understanding that you're observing what's going on in your head consciously is the first step. Because once you consciously observe, let it happen, right? So let's say you're in the shower and you're in your car, you're in the shower, somewhere quiet, and you start to think something. Let's say you think, oh, my girlfriend, you know, she, she's cheating on me, right? That, that voice is the voice of the terrorist. And he tells the core of who you are and, and trying to convince him that something's going on. So you dig deeper and deeper and deeper. The next thing you know, your whole mood's changed. And the reality of your world is completely flipped upside down. But that sniper comes in the room and he observes this happen, happening. So consciously you say, you're doing it again. Here it goes. Let it happen. Let the sniper observe everything that's happened. The terrorist is doing his thing. He's pacing back and forth. That observation alone is enough for you consciously to dissolve and reduce the chances of that terrorist taking over that situation. Just the sheer observation. And the, the military analogy is you are reducing the risk of you going underground, of you getting depressed by reducing and mitigating the risk because you're consciously aware of what's happening in your mind. Now, that analogy might be hard for people to understand, but just understand that once you consciously are aware of something taking place in your mind, you lost a buddy, you start thinking about the loss and how it's destroyed you. If you consciously understand that you're going down that road into darkness, that's the first step into bringing yourself back to the light. And that's helped me. Um, that's helped me understanding that you don't need to allow that terrorist, that voice to lead you down into the darkness. What you need to do is trust the observer and then have the compassion to be aware of the situation and then help the core of who you are, help him be led back to light. And, you know, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I think of things in my head and how, the, how I operate based on uh, the, the structure. And what I've seen a big issue being in dealing with veterans and PTSD is there's not tangible solutions. A tangible solution is not taking a veteran and talking to him twice a week for two years, hoping that talking about the things in his mind that he's experiencing, he should feel like a victim. He should feel sorry for himself, and it's okay to cry, to uh, mourn. Some of those processes in psychology are okay, but those psychological techniques are for civilians. They're not for military-minded individuals. Um, so that's just my take on it. I don't, I don't know if it's going to help anybody. I hope it does, but um, it's a serious issue that you know I deal with on a daily basis that I think veterans deal with on a daily basis. And I hope maybe if it even helps one person, uh, that's good enough for me. No, yeah, honestly, that was a great piece of advice, Mike. And, um, and I, I think people, people who are listening, military, non-military, if you uh, you know if you allow those words to sink in and you really think about what Mike's saying and you kind of visualize it in your head, 
then it'll make sense to you because it, it made sense to me. So uh, that, that was a great piece of advice, Mike. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Uh, so, Mike, let's, um, you know, since we've put out that third episode where we spoke about fitness and mindset and passing selection, we, we've been constantly getting emails and, and hit up on social media. I've been getting DMs and things like that. Who, and people are just asking for more information. They want to know more about mindset. They want to know more about how they can prepare and, you know, and specifically, you know, what workouts can they do, that kind of thing. So let, let's touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I got the the most frequented DM I get from um, young men and women is how do I pre- prepare for special operations? And I talked about in the last uh, YouTube video that I did about focusing on that 25 meter target. So before you even get to selection, remember that each training evolution comes at you at different times. The first step in this whole process is basic training and advanced individual training at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is infantry basic training. Basic training is basic training. They're taking the average Joe off the street and they're training them to be soldiers. So I just had recently a Boston college football player message me and we talked a little bit about fitness and mindset and think about this guy, I mean, he's, he plays, you know, he just got done playing collegiate football for a really good organization. And now he's focusing on becoming an 18 X-ray or special forces candidate. The first thing he has to do is go to basic training. He's got eight months to do it. What does he need to do? Well, I would tell you that basic training takes the dumpy dudes off the street and turns them into soldiers. They have, to, they have to cater to the lowest denominator, which is going to be your most dumpy dude coming off the street. I hope dumpy doesn't offend somebody. Big boned. Let's call them big bone. Good personality, big bone dudes. So these individuals who come off the street, they have to get them up to a level. Now, when I went as a 17-year-old private E1, I was in decent shape. But the kind of shape I was in was, was gym shape, right? I had... You know, I did the the uh, trot, chest and tries, you know, back and buys routine in the gym. But when you go to basic training, it's all based on the Army physical fitness test, which includes push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. How many push-ups can you do in, in two minutes? How many push-ups or sit-ups can you do in two minutes? And how fast can you run two miles? So that's the concentration of, of effort I would focus on, and that is calisthenics. It's pushing and pulling your own body weight. Now, I am not the subject matter uh, expert in calisthenics, but I am in functional fitness, which is a calisthenics is an element of that. But I know, John, you, you specialized in calisthenics. So I know you, you have the right advice and the right uh, training techniques. Can you give us some examples of good workouts for calisthenics for getting ready for, let's say, basic trainer? Yeah, absolutely. Um... So for you know for about seven years I, I was part of a calisthenics organization, which teaches fitness through calisthenics, and then we also train guys who compete in in tournaments worldwide. Which is kind of like a combination of gymnastic movements with advanced calisthenic movements like push-ups, pull-ups, dips, that thing. So, so pretty much what I tell people like when I was training people, you know, I, I was getting all different 
levels of fitness. So some guys are can already do 15 pull-ups straight or some guys can only do three pull-ups. So there's there's methods to building up to whatever your goal might be. So for the very basic, you know, if you if you can't do five pull-ups and and you want to get to that point, what you can do is uh what we call uh back rows and and this is all body weight, uh mind you. So you is either called we can call them back rows or Australian pull-ups. So basically what that is is let's say you're at a dip bar, right? Like a parallel bar. You 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 get under the bar and you you straighten your body out so that your your hands are touching the bar and your shoulders are about uh, level with the bar and and the rest of your body straight with your feet pointing up and and, and what I'll do in the show notes and the podcast notes is I'll link to a video on YouTube showing this exercise just so you guys can see it and and then you can do sets of these so what I like to train people with is uh, we'll do four sets of five right so you'll start really wide like you'll start wide like a, a few inches past your shoulders you do five and then you you'll bring your hands in to shoulder width and then you do five and then you bring your hands to about six inches apart and you do five and in the last set your hands are touching and you're doing five and for all these calisthenic movements these pulling movements when your hands are touching you're really gonna work your forearms as well as your back as well as your core so you, you can do those that exercise and then on the pull-up bar itself, you can do what, what we're big on, is, and it's called a static hold. So you grab the pull-up bar, and you get your chin up to the bar, and you just hold it. And it, it's really simple. It's really basic. But static holds are a great way to build core strength and the pulling strength that you need, your, your grip strength, your hands will, will, will get stronger, your forearms, your back. So static holds and... Australian pull-ups are a really good way to get your pull-up game to where you want it to be. So now I'm going to go into a basic workout, uh, basic calisthenic workout. And we call this method of training, we call it the downs method. So that's D-O-W-N-S. So we'll take a number like 10. So you'll do 10 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 10 dips, and 10 bodyweight squats. And that's set number one. And then on the second set, you'll do nine pull-ups, nine push-ups. Nine dips, nine bodyweight squats. And you work all the way down till you hit one. And this is a basic workout, but we, we do this workout. As you get more advanced, we do it with higher numbers. So, you know, I've done 32 down on push-ups and crunches. And then when you get to one, then you go back up to 32. And, 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 and just that's just to give you an example of the kind of the kind of numbers we're doing and things like that. And and also one thing I'll say with the calisthenics, and we're going to get more into this, you know, Mike start, already started the Objective Fit video podcast. It's up on his YouTube channel. and We'll list that at the end of the episode. But when you're training calisthenics, it's different from when you're in the gym, like Mike said, hitting back and buys or chest and tries because it's all repetition-based. So if you're trying to get a really good workout, you you got to get, your your reps in you know and each rep is is close to a full body workout so the 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 philosophy of it is different from the gym where in the gym you're training back and biceps that's it when you're doing calisthenics you're training your entire body you know at all times so it's a different philosophy uh you have to get used to working out consecutive days um 
And so when you're doing these high repetitions, each rep, you have to complete it. There's no way around it. So if you're doing 200 pull-ups, 500 push-ups, 500 dips, you're doing each one of these reps. So you're, you're training your mind at the same time. You know, and and you're learning about yourself. You know, you're you you because now you're getting to the point where you're finishing when you hit your target, you hit your 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 goal, versus when you're tired. So you're training your mind as well as training your body. That's that's real good advice. So what is it? Where does that tie into core? Like the the principles of core core exercise. And I know for me, one one of the most important aspects of physical fitness is in the core, is in, in the center. So when you're doing those calisthenics, do, does your core just, does it automatically engage your core through through the calisthenics? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I'll, I'll say about that is the, the core, you have to have a strong core, you know, for whatever reason, whatever you want to do in life, um, you have to have a strong core. And I actually did a, a, a video on YouTube, an instructional video, and I'll, I'll link that in the podcast notes, and it was about the core. So, uh, when you're doing one thing, you'll notice about guys and and what we call the bar community, the pull up bar community, it's it's worldwide. Is a lot of guys have six packs and a lot of guys have really ripped stomachs because everything. It, it, when you're doing push ups, pull ups, dips, and body weight squats, each one of those workouts, you're hitting your core as a secondary and a third uh, target. So like you're you're hitting it lightly with each each rep that you're doing, but but on top of that we do isolate the core, so we do a lot of what's called L seats. So an L seat is basically you're you're holding on the parallel bars or the dip bars, and your legs are straight out and you're making basically an L shape. So there's a lot of variations of L seats that you can do. Um, an advanced workout would be L seat pull-ups. So we would do sets of L seat pull-ups. So for example, we would do 10 down on L seat pull-ups. So the first set will be 10 L seats. Then you get off, wait a couple of seconds, then you go back, then you do nine L seats and so on and so forth till you hit one. So, uh, yeah, the, the core is, is, is vital, man. And especially if you're for, for people going into the military and you're trying to get into these elite units, you got to have a strong core. And it's funny, um, one of my, my, my childhood friends, he was in the Army, and he deployed to Iraq. And when he got back, we would were, we were kind of hike. We would go on hikes, and he had these um, these assault packs. He had two of them, so he gave me one. And, and you know, we, we're throwing 45 pounds, 60 pounds. Uh, at one point, I did 70. And, and, you know, we're hitting, like, 5 to 10 miles through, like, through difficult terrain. Like, it's a lot of hills and stuff. And I remember the first time we did the hike, uh, I, I hadn't worked out for a while. I was coming off an injury, and my stomach hurt for like five days in a row, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Whoa, bro! All we did was hike," and he's laughing like, "Yeah, you know, you especially when you haven't worked out, that's gonna happen." You know, that's awesome, man. That's that's you know, me and Two's whole whole premise behind Objective Fit when we were overseas and started that was you know combat chassis. We were we were working our combat chassis, which we called our core, and every time you put body weight whether in the form of, you know, a running tactics vest with, with weighted plates inside of it, um, it just engaged the core all the time. And I, I know even today, like when I go in the gym, in the local gym uh, here in town, I just do all these crazy core exercises and everybody's like, what is this guy doing? It, it's, a, it's a part of the education 
that we we want to get across in the podcast and in Phil Craft's Objective Fit, it's because people aren't familiar with it. It's almost like a, it's almost the same kind of fitness level. You look at a, uh, I like to look think about like gymnast, and you're like, dude, that dude is uber ripped, massive, massively strong. Can you know can hold out his body weight, push and pull it, and I can't even do a pull up. But why is that? You know, so so some of these things that. Uh, John talked about the calisthenics, the core fitness are just things we're going to talk about late in later episodes and continue to feed feed you more information. There's a lot of resources out there, but John, you want to go ahead and close it out and 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 give give some links for for some information. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, be sure to check out the podcast notes. Uh, that's where you'll get the the links. Uh, any extra information will be listed there on the podcast notes. The podcast notes are going to be up on my website globalrecon.net slash podcast. So when you go there, you just click on the title of the podcast. They're all listed. And in there, I'm going to put up some links. So I'll put up a link showing the Australian pull-up. And then I'm going to link to a video that I did a couple of years ago talking about the core. And you're actually going to see one of these dudes that I spoke about who has an insanely ripped stomach. And and then we'll, we'll show some basic workouts there and then explain some of why it's important to train your core so uh you know we had a really good episode today uh alex scarlettos was on and we appreciate him telling the story of what happened on that train in in france a couple of months back and then of course you know as as always it's always great to uh when mike's on and he's talking about his experiences and things like that so you know i I really appreciate everybody coming together and, and and working together for this so mike is there anything you want to close with no, I just uh, it just occurred to me that you mentioned guys ripped abs a few times, which is, which is which is cool. But uh, that just occurred to me. I, I think that three times you said that, but that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, you know having Alex on is, is 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 an honor and privilege, and I'm proud of him. You know, as a as a former sergeant major in special forces, looking at him as a young NCO, um, who 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 you know the the kids on dancing with the stars now, and he's going to sniper school later this year. So you're talking about a true patriot who's serving his country and getting getting work done. I'm proud to have him on. And, you know, we, we highlighted some PTSD strategies. If guys are having problems out there, uh, there's some organizations out there at 222many, uh, the number two, number two, too many, uh, a buddy of ours, Johnny Primo, we might have him on next week. He has an organization that talks about vets um, getting, having resources, tangible resources to, to, to reach into um, try to hit them up. If you're suffering from PTSD, if you if you don't have anybody to talk to, you could always DM on my Instagram. I, I answer every single message that I get. I don't care if I stay up until three in the morning. And I, I know John's the same way. Um, uh, good podcast. Appreciate the follow. And it looks like we we still are above soft rep. No offense to soft rep because they're doing their own thing. But uh, it, it feels good to be. Um, some somewhere up in the top brackets that means people were listening and that's what we want to do right um so yeah so that's it so guys guys and girls you can reach out to us at po- podcast at globalrecon.net that's an email address um me or mike respond we respond to every email so once again that's podcast at globalrecon.net you can catch mike on instagram at soft survivor that's sof survivor and his website is fieldcraftsurvival.com his Facebook is Fieldcraft LLC. My website is globalrecon.net. 
My Instagram is IG Recon, and my Facebook is FB Recon. So we'll see you guys in a couple of days, and we're going to have some interesting people on to talk about some important topics. Peace. Thank you.